Victorian scribblers, an informal exploration of the lives and work of lesser-known Victorian writers. I'm Dr. Courtney Floyd, a specialist in 19th century literature and print culture. And I'm Eleanor Dunville, a PhD student in Victorian literature and publishing at Loughborough University in the UK. I guess if we introduce what we're doing here um, and the fact that we kind of thought instead of we don't have a um, now this is why we don't do conversational <laughs> we don't have like a structured episode planned but we wanted to launch into the next season by kind of having a conversation about what's been happening and what we're planning for the next season so do you want to fill us in on what you've been doing since we when we when did we last record was it February? I think so. Maybe January even. It could have been January. Yeah. It's crazy. Gosh. Well, first, welcome to season four. I never thought we would get here. Um, I mean, that's what happens when you set out without a roadmap, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think this season, I'm especially excited and proud of what we're setting out to do, um, which we'll get to soon don't need to jump ahead yet. So, um, yeah, what have I been doing this year? Time is a flat circle. Um, <laughs> I have been working on an audio drama called The Way We Haunt Now, um, which is about friendship, found family, and fighting the narratives that try to define us, even in the afterlife. And um, I think you'll be able to listen to both the teaser and the trailer by the time this episode goes live. So you can check that out at hauntnowpod.com. I should say that again because my dog bashed himself against the door. <laughs> um, at hauntnowpod.com. He's not hurt. He just shoves his nose against it insistently. Just FYI. I assume that's Max. Um, It might be Charlie. Like It depends on which one of them is mad that I locked them out. Max does it on accident. Charlie does it on purpose. That, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, not to brag, but I have heard a sneak preview of that and it is really good. Like, you have to check Hooray. it out. Um, the acting, the actors that have come on the project to work with me are all phenomenal. And I still can't really believe that they agreed to work with a first timer, but it's, um, yeah, it's going to be amazing. And yeah. You'll, you'll want to follow that, especially if you're into Victorian ghosts and uh, contemporary fantasy. And even from, uh, I just think the title is so clever. I love it. Oh, yeah, definitely a Victorianist <laughs> wrote this way. <laughs> <laughs> I forced myself to read the novel before I um, adapted the, or before I wrote my script so that I would know like what I was referencing and it kind of works, but oh no, it's more of a pun than anything. I haven't read the novel, but I still really appreciate the pun. I've been writing a, um, and this might get edited out of the published version, but I've been writing an encyclopedia entry about Francis Milton Trollope and I had to write the kind of definition and I just ended it by saying something like, Four of her children went on to become novelists, including her son Anthony. Just like 
He's not really going to dwell on him, but I guess I should acknowledge that he exists. Nice. Wholeheartedly approve. Yeah, so that's really all I've been up to, um, except, you know, dog adventures and, yeah, staying at home. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Um, I have been doing a lot, but not a lot at the same time. So I submitted my PhD thesis, which is, felt really weird and really anticlimactic because I wrote the last three months, spent the last, I shouldn't say wrote the last three months, I spent the last three months of that just at home working on my kitchen table um, when I've been used to working in an office with other people. So that was a very lonely experience and very weird. But I did that. I'm prepping for my Viva. I decided to make my life difficult and moved to London in the middle of a pandemic because why not? Because um, <laughs> I got a new job. Um, All the wins. So yeah, a lot of changes. Everything changed. I have a I have a job now. I have like a permanent full time job, which is yeah, you're rocking it. Just the fun, not um, not precarious nature. Not I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so full time. It's like nice not to have to, yeah, yeah, worry about paying your bills and eating. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and it's still. I mean, it's still a. Even though it's nice that it's nine to five, and I know that when I've finished for the day, I finish for the day. But also, I'm doing my old tack job full time, and then trying to keep on top of, you know, keep my hand into academia part time, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. It's an interesting kind of yeah. juggling match um yeah and now yeah. i'm just waiting for my viva which is terrifying but hopefully Ugh. might have happened by the time this comes out i don't know when we're planning to release it but yeah we haven't talked about that which is why i was also <laughs> yeah um yeah so next time we hear from you it'll be dr eleanor dr dumbbell possibly yeah. i want to count my chickens but yeah it's exciting and also i'm sure you experienced this too but so it's weirdly anticlimactic because it's like you've been listening you've been listening you've been working on this thing for in my case four years um and like it's all you've done and then you're like oh it's finished yep it's weird it's really weird anticlimactic i don't know yeah a whole it's a whole experience especially if you're not like able to be on campus to finish like which also i wasn't for non-pandemic reasons i was gonna say you're in a similar situation of defending via um zoom or similar web conference yeah odd very odd times i feel like we should also apologize for the we had big plans to do a read-along and i think we're both really excited about that and then just both got so busy yes it was a bad it was a it was it was good intent good intentions and i think we might revisit at some point with a different novel but bad timing (laughs) unfortunately i felt so guilty about that too i did too um because it it was a really nice idea and it's something i would really like to revisit in the future and then i was also trying to plan a move and trying to finish my thesis and going, oh yeah. no, I really need to keep up with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll do one next year. 
fingers crossed. Life happens. And yeah, I think we can't be too harsh on ourselves during an unprecedented global pandemic. So, Right. <laughs> but we do have exciting things to come. We do. So as you mentioned, it's the fourth season, which is pretty cool. And we have a, let me get the CFP up. Because we're going in a really, oh, I, I really overuse the word interesting. Um, I, we're going in a really important direction, I think. And I think it's fair to say, and without patting ourselves on the back, like this is what should, <laughs> how do you articulate it? It's like, it's what we should be doing. So we don't. Yeah. And what, we'll, yeah. It's necessary, let's just say. Yes. That. Yeah. And, and partly, so I think we did a poll sometime in the fuzzy pasts, because I've lost all sense of time, um, about what you all wanted to hear from us about in season four. And you kind of resoundedly all voted for a season on Scribblers of Color. Little did we know how... Um, well, I think it's always timely, but how, like, m m breaking news timely this topic would be for reasons that are enraging and heartbreaking. Um, so when we say this is a necessary season, it's because of that. Yeah, and that's also where we've been having a lot of conversations about what our name is. Because obviously our official title is Victorian Scribblers, but we really want to get away from that yeah. imperialist view of defining time period according to the British monarch, which doesn't make sense if we're trying to not just talk about British writers. Um, and it also lets us expand, you know, break out mm -hmm. of just 1837 to 1901, which is another advantage. But the real important reason is we don't just want to talk about um, literature coming from the British Empire. Yes. Yeah. So there was some news piece that I saw earlier today saying we need to defend the British Empire and um, cultural leftists are erasing history. And it's like, no, what we actually want to do is focus on history and not just the bits that make us look good. Mm -hmm. That's infuriating. You know, I get that it's upsetting that if we actually look at history accurately, it makes the Brits look pretty terrible. Sorry, I had to stop myself from swearing there. <laughs> like, that's upsetting, especially when you've been taught in school like only the good things and to think of it as to think of the British Empire as a good thing and like oh aren't we wonderful but it's necessary this is a huge digression but okay future Elena just popping in here to clarify a few things that I didn't articulate very well on the original recording so first off yes it is uncomfortable to learn about the real history of our nation if you're a white brit i am a white brit and i completely understand that it's not pleasant but it's the discomfort that we might feel while we learn about that pales in comparison to the harm that was done to the people who were victims of these atrocities and the people who were sacrificed in order to build the british empire and that's something that we need to sit with and think about that discomfort and stop prioritizing our own comfort over people's other people's well-being 
Um, if that is a subject that you're interested in, I have been reading and I'm currently rereading a book called Should Current Generations Make Reparations for Slavery? It's by Jana Thompson and it's a very good book that puts forward some practical options and just discusses this in a really thoughtful way. Yeah, but I think it's important to kind of <laughs> get a peek into our thought process behind, like, as we go into the season, right? But yeah, like, um, you know, people in um, 19th century and Victorian studies, especially this year, have been having conversations about um, all of these things that we just mentioned. In, um, like, I think we're kind of late to the game. Like, the medievalists got there before us a little bit. The um, bigger six romantic movement um, is kind of a really iconic example of how to break away from white-centric scholarship, um, a false white-centric scholarship, right? Um, and in a year when we're talking about, especially in the U.S., but I think around the world, memory and what history is and what monuments are for and how we do justice to people who are living and dead who are vulnerable and not um taken into account in the things we celebrate as history um we want to explore we want to extend that conversation to the victorian period or the 19th century yeah and also if our whole i mean our kind of mission statement is that we're interested in authors who've received less attention historically and yeah marginalized writers are always going to be you know the ones that are not historically but particularly today um and kind of in the canons that were built up over the 20th century are particularly missing from those canons mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're often dismissed because of the genres they wrote in or, I mean, just like who they were as not great writing. And so people kind of assume like, oh, if I haven't heard of this writer, they must be kind of a hack, yeah. which I hope our podcast has already started to demonstrate is far from the case. But this is especially um, insidious when we're talking about marginalized writers. So... Yeah, so this season we will be talking about um, what we're terming scribblers of color, and we will um, be thinking about what it means to call someone Victorian or not, like what appellations mm -hmm. we use to describe these writers, how do we include them in um, conversations about sort of the the center of the empire or the center of culture or whatever, but also like acknowledge that empire and culture are doing harm to these writers and the cultures that they are coming from. And that like all of this, their work is really complicated within that context. Yeah. And that by reading this work can only give us more information about this context and a view that hasn't necessarily been included in the history books that we see or in the literature courses that we might um, be enrolled in. Yeah, definitely. Um, should we talk a little bit about format and then maybe tell them who we're planning to cover this season? Yeah, I think that makes sense. 
Because we're changing things up, aren't we? Yeah. We kind people might remember our survey that we were asking a lot to Yeah. You know, asking for the feedback and we've well, we're responding to that feedback in how we're changing the format of this season. So what we're gonna do is essentially get rid of the long episodes about writing. Mm-hmm. But not not you know, not just get rid of it. We're gonna um so we're gonna have our biography episodes, which we're hoping will be kind of three quarters of an hour. Yeah. We're gonna keep and ourselves. And then have some shorter conversations. Yeah. Keep yes. ourselves honest about forty five not... minutes. <laughs> More or less. Yeah. I don't think um I don't think being succinct is either of our strong points, which comes with being a Victorianist, I think. Yes, and also is I it? think yeah. Yeah. Just wanting to and do if justice. You're trying to, to do people's justice. Lives. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but maybe like the trade off is that we just do better about sharing relevant resources, right? Yeah, so hopefully our episodes will be kind of a jumping off point where you can see if you're really interested in say um pauline hopkins's work and you really enjoy her episode then hopefully you'll kind of dig into finding more resources mm-hmm. about her yeah and then the really exciting thing is we want to have shorter episodes where we have conversations with scholars or citizen scholars interested people about these topics yeah i'm stoked about this we've (laughs) we've had some respondents who want to do that which is it's so exciting yeah and we have a list of people that we'll be reaching out to um who we want to bring on especially for this season as well so i mean yeah we can't be more detailed than that but keep your fingers crossed um yeah so let's talk about the authors that we are going to focus on this season. So of course there are many, many options um, for subjects for this season. And um, after doing lots of research and kind of like fangirling over, oh, these people sound so cool and having like a really long list, we have narrowed it down to seven authors all of them women um, from around the world. So um, we mentioned Pauline Hopkins already. We hoped to include her in last season and were not able to because the world (laughs) started on fire. Um, But we still want to cover her. And so we're going to kick off season four with coverage of Pauline Hopkins' life. Yeah. And the reason that we didn't cover her in the last season is is entirely that thing of wanting to do her justice and mm-hmm. you can't rush it. Um, and then the second one is a scribbler that I have been bugging Courtney about covering mm-hmm. since I joined, which is Issa Blagden. So I'm especially excited for... Well, I was going to say I'm especially excited about her, but I'm also especially excited about learning about all these writers that I don't know as much about. Yeah. But um, Issa is... Um connected to one of our season two authors, Theodosia Garrow, in interesting ways. And enemy of the pod, Edward Bulwell-Lytton. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we, yeah, sorry. 
Oh no, I just thought I'd play on, you know, other people are friend of the pod. I think Bull Willitton is a confirmed enemy of the pod. Yes, I, yeah, it's definitely true. Um, so then we will be moving on to 19th century Chinese poet Gu Tai King. Um, and she is known for something called sea poetry, which we will look forward to learning all about. Yeah, I have to be honest that I am woefully ignorant on the subject of poetry. I'm really a prose person. So I am, that's another area that I'm excited to learn more about. Yeah. Eventually I want to do a season all about poets, um, <laughs> but I'm afraid, like I'm petrified of that season. <laughs> so <laughs> we will need lots of experts. Poetry is intimidating. It really is. Like, I will happily read and discuss a 1,000-page novel, but, like, something 300 words long can send me, like, running to hide. I mean, I know there are epic poems, but um, just have that example for hyperbole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I know what you mean. I will... I have read Middlemarch multiple times, but I've intimidated trying to talk about the um like a, a haiku in detail yeah um so then we've got mary church terrell who wrote under the name euphemia cook and she was a journalist then we have canadian first nations um, writer emily pauline johnson who i believe was also an actress um yeah, so two Paulines this season. We have the dueling Paulines. Because I think sometimes um, Emily Pauline went as E. Pauline in her publications. Ah. As this is a season on Writers of Colours, we were really keen to get a Latinx um, writer up there. So we are going to talk about Rita Satina Gutierrez, who is a Mexican author. Yes, she is a 19th century Mexican feminist. And I am so stoked to figure out like what the feminist movement was like outside of Britain and the US in the 19th century. And a teacher as well, so a really strong focus on education. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, we'll be wrapping up with um, Sarah Jane Woodson Early, um, who is the third African-American um, author on our slate this season. And I mean, she was um, a teacher and lecturer as well. A nice point of... Um continuity with Gutierrez and her father there's like an apocryphal family story that Jefferson might have been her grandfather oh right yeah I added her because she is um local to where I am right now so I might do some sort of field trip yeah I wondered if that might have been yeah I mean also because she's awesome other like, enemy even of just the... skimming wikipedia yeah. I was like yeah the other enemy the other main enemy of our podcast Thomas Jefferson <laughs> Please don't fire me if you hear this, employers. UVA, if you're listening, that was entirely me saying that. I don't know if you want me to name your employer. But... <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, so we have got a sort of rock star slate um, for this season. And talking about these women's lives and work is going to let us touch on topics from British imperialism to new women literature um 19th century chinese poetry uh the temperance movement black nationalism in the 19th century um what else 
the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Yeah, I was going to say kind of um, that education through line is really interesting. Um, and also, yeah, I think just generally the, the different yeah. perspectives, because that's what really important is the not just reading the same dead white men all the time. Yeah, definitely. Like, if you read authors from outside of the dead white male perspective, then suddenly excuses like, he was a man of his time, don't make any sense anymore because you understand that the time was way more complex than the literature that you were led to believe is representative ever. Oh, yeah. Led you, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's an argument that I have. I think we talked about potentially doing some kind of mini-series where we talk about the misconceptions that we really hate. But that's an argument that I particularly hate is yeah. um, people saying, oh, yeah, but everyone was racist or sexist or ableist in that day because there are always exceptions. Mm-hmm. Like There was never a time yeah. where every single person um, said, yeah, that's fine. Like if you look at like even the kind of we touched on um, – abolitionism before and there were there were people and most notably um you know like people of color working against slavery way back when Mm -hmm. and then obviously get like help from white people when they came around to it but yeah there's never a time where everyone is on board with horrendous oppressive ideas Okay, editing Eleanor here again. I just want to clarify something that I said here. So when I say that it was primarily people of colour pushing for abolition, I am thinking of part of Alcala's Natives where he talks about the fact that Wilberforce gets all the recognition for pushing abolition in Britain. And in fact, that work had been being done for decades by people of colour and by enslaved people. And we need to stop only recognising the white people that are involved in these movements at the same time. There obviously were white people doing anti-racist work and white people weren't just accepting of racism as the status quo. What we need to remember as well is that black people and people of colour weren't just passive victims and that a lot of black people and people of colour did stand up for their own rights and white people weren't just beneficent heroes that swooped in and saved black people and that narrative is equally dangerous. Yes, so I don't know if I've articulated this any better, but I wanted to clarify that as best as I can and would recommend, again, another recommendation, Akala's Natives, if you've not read it, read it. Um, Also would highly recommend the audiobook because he is a spoken artist and he reads it himself. So yeah, just another pop in from me. Yeah, definitely. Like even our coverage of Mary Shelley and their like refusing to eat sugar, like they're, you know, yeah small acts like that. it's a conversation that's happening right now in the historical romance community like writers of historical romance um often say oh it'll break historical fantasy um to like bring out these contexts but even something as simple as that sugar example of like if there's sugar in your novel that means there's a transatlantic system that exploits black people to bring you the sugar like what what gets made invisible when we're only looking at one perspective is something that is like endlessly fascinating and horrifying and important to think and talk about. Yeah, and there's this um like well, we're talking about historical 
romance and historical fiction. Like there's this idea that if you include people of colour in, say, period dramas, then that's um yeah, somehow not true to the time. And it's like, yes, it absolutely is true. Like, <laughs> right. How do you think only white people existed until about 1960? It's not the, yeah. the case. <sighs> ah, fun. Um, also exciting, it looks like, certainly from our Facebook page, that I, well, we both, from the notifications on our Facebook page, it looks like we've got some new listeners, which is really exciting. I'm really glad that you've joined us. Yay! Welcome, new listeners. Which might have been from me ranting about women's names. I hope so. Oh my gosh, that has spilled over into the science fiction fantasy community because the people who are publishing that collection um, reached out to N.K. Jemison as if her writing under her initials is the same as writing under a pseudonym and asked if they could use one of her short stories for free as, like, promotion for the series. Like, and she's just, like, pissed about it in, in a way that's, like, totally justice. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it... And I, you know, I was being diplomatic, but it... Asking her for free stuff to promote their series, which is promotion. Like... These are promotional materials. Maybe that's why there wasn't a whole heap of thought going into it. But I don't know. I am really yeah. uncomfortable with the fact that it's associated with an alcohol brand. Like, that's not... Mm. Yeah, that too. Uh, Especially for 19th century women writers who... Yeah. The whole thing. We'll talk about the temperance movement this season. Yeah. What a but, great tie back in. Yeah. Hooray. But... But yeah, um, we will link to Eleanor's excellent article in the show notes for those of you who want to know what we're sort of, what is it called when you like tweet with your lips? Oh. <laughs> I'm so online. I don't know. <laughs> oh, what is it? Um, like it's such a perfect term, but it doesn't apply to conversation. It should. It should. Um, yeah, we, there's a... So I'm sure everyone's heard of it by now, but it was just a campaign to republish women's writing underneath under their real names, which um, included a lot of really poorly thought, thought through things. They included Frank Rollins' work about Martin Delaney in this series under the name Francis Rollins, which is questionable. But anyway, and the original cover of this book was a portrait of Frederick Douglass. What? Which readers may know is an entirely different man. How and ugh. not only an entirely different man, I would say probably the most recognisable black man of the 19th century. Like, it was a kind of abstract line work drawing, but that, you know, the, the hair and the white streak through the hair is so recognisable. Um, so yeah, they said it was human error and I get that not everyone's an expert, but, and also if you search for a portrait of Martin Delaney, because I did that when I was creating mine, pictures of Frederick Douglass will come up because they were associated, but it takes one click through for it to say, this is Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, 
yeah, I, I mean, I don't buy that argument either. Like, yeah, in a student essay, maybe. Like, but there are so many different people and different sort of checks and balances involved in a publishing endeavor that, like, someone right. should have caught that, even if it was, a, a, like, a harried intern very quickly putting, you know, like, also cover design is so important that, yeah, like, how do you, how do you have that big of an error on something that is so critical to sales? How do you miss that? I don't know. Um, yeah, I had that in the article originally, but they have a really short word limit. So I cut yeah. that in favor of the things that I kind of, the more things that I was, new things, because very smart people have written about the other things. Um, yeah. Some of the other errors that were made with this collection. But essentially, people choose their names for a reason and we should respect those choices. Yeah. And maybe if they were living today, they wouldn't have made the same choices, but we can't know that for sure. So all we have is what they said at the time. Yeah. Which in, you know, Elliot's cases, she didn't say, I want to be published as Mary Ann Evans. She said she wanted to be published as George Elliot. Yeah. And it, yeah. And the only word, actually, the only... The only work during her lifetime that carried her name were her translations, which um, off the top of my head were published as Marion Evans. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, like her journalism, she wrote very specifically under her name or on under Marion Evans. But yeah, but yeah, like that, that was a professional choice that she was very clear about. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think you point like I, I really loved your point that like this sort of blanket assumption really does harm to writers who we might understand today as genderqueer or trans or non-binary who were intentionally like renaming themselves. Um, yeah, like making assumptions about people's gender or their gender preferences is never a good idea. Like, yeah, isn't that just a given in 2020? Like, yeah, I mean, the, the inclusion of a dead name is kind of the pinnacle of what's not ideal about that. But yeah, just in general, if people yep. if people give themselves a name, respect it. I say this as someone who is yeah furious when people assume they can call me Ellie because only my family calls me by that name, and when other people are like, I hate I hate nicknames. Like it's it makes me furious when people give me nicknames unless like we're we're long-standing friends and then it's like okay you, you you probably know me enough to like call me a nickname yeah but... and those are like yeah the the names that we don't like that people might call us on aren't invalidating a key part of our being it's just no annoying yeah so. like one time um a tsa airport person <laughs> looked at my id and looked up and called me courtney meister <laughs> what, the, what what the hell that's what, odd i'm still very upset about this like years later like the strange man at 4 a.m in the airport who was like in charge of letting me on a plane or not yeah please just use my given name <laughs> it's really not asking for much but um yeah yeah that was a bit of a tangent but <laughs> just respect how people identify yeah. themselves like you said it's 2020 it shouldn't be a controversial i i think the putting it under the guise of feminism was what what real really riled me about it but yeah no um 
yeah, I've, I've seen people, and I think this is a really nice summary, call it like girl boss feminism, because it's like feels empowering, but then when you think about it more deeply, it probably isn't. And like on that point, I've had a lot of conversations with people who have been like, oh, yeah, I saw this at first and I thought that was a really nice idea. And it is a nice idea. And also, I think it's really great to get novels by people like Michael Field that people yeah. might not have read. They get those back into the consciousness. Um. I don't know, like, I think that's part of what's so difficult to talk about this kind of thing is it does seem like on first pass, like something that's a really nice, positive thing. But then if you think more deeply about it, you're like, actually, um, yeah, these people chose names and let's respect them. Yeah. That was. Yeah, definitely. Not that articulate, but um, yeah the thing that I wrote down where I had time to think about what I was saying <laughs> yeah you should I highly recommend it um but yeah on that on that note yeah let's talk about I think having these sorry go ahead oh no what I was gonna say is I think this is something that I'm really excited about this season is having these kind of um more free-flowing conversations especially having these conversations with other people and getting some other perspectives yeah and hopefully that's something that people enjoy, but mm-hmm. we're always happy for you to, you know, feedback. Even when we're not running a survey, if you want to send us an email or a tweet. Yes. We love hearing from you because it makes us feel like we're not just talking to each other slash ourselves in the void. <laughs> yeah. Although it is great to have conversations with you, Eleanor. <laughs> I do. I often wish that we recorded all of our conversations because I think they could all be (laughs) not to toot our own horns but they're all publishable yeah well (laughs) I'm less optimistic on my own behalf (laughs) that's getting into uncomfortable ground (laughs) recording all of our conversations yes yeah so I think um one last thing to really mention is that this season we are not going to be promoting our Patreon very heavily. Um, instead, we're hoping that if you really are um, enjoying our content, that you'll make a donation to the UNCF in the US, in the US, um, and BMWA in the UK. So, if you make a donation of five dollars or five pounds in the UK and email us with proof, we will send you a sticker and a personal note. If you really, really, really want to contribute to our Patreon, we're going to set a community goal that um, for every subscriber above 20, we will donate $1 to um, the UNCF at the end of the season. So um, for tax purposes, just the US charity because um, I don't know tax law, (laughs) but um, that seems safe. And if you don't know what these organizations are, we will link to them in the show notes, but both of them are intended to support to support scholars of color and um that seemed like a really good way to put our to put our money where our mouth is this season yeah absolutely like i think this is um you know it's good to spread awareness but awareness doesn't pay people's bills so we do want to give some kind of yeah actual contribution as well um yeah so hopefully that's given you an idea of what will be coming up next season um I know that I'm really looking forward to diving into some of this stuff and exploring some of these women's lives. Yes. Yeah. 
So um, thanks for listening and keep an eye on our social accounts and an ear on your RSS feed for the first full episode about Pauline Hopkins. Yeah. And again, thank you for listening. (laughs) We still like are terrible at (laughs) sign-offs. Victorian Scribblers is researched, written, and produced by me, Courtney Floyd, and my co-host, Eleanor Dumbbell. The podcast is made possible by support from listeners like you. If you liked what you heard today and want to help ensure more fabulous content, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, spread the word on social media, and, if you can, visit www.victorianscribblers.com slash support us to donate. All of the music and sound effects for this podcast are available under Creative Commons attribution licenses. Our theme is Joseph Miroslav Weber's String Quartet, number two in B minor, performed by Steve's Bedroom Band. The music for our Around the World feature is Puddington Bear's Bit Rio, 